93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. Ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And welcome to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are very happy to have in the studio with us uh, Dr. John Miles from the Columbia Orthopedic Group. Dr. Miles, great to have you here. Thank you, Fred. Good to see you, my yeah, friend. Yeah, good to have you here. And and uh, a lot of stuff going on in, in the healthcare industry nationwide. Also here locally, uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm anxious to hear your thoughts. Uh, you are uh, one of the leaders in the local medical community, and you've got some exciting things going on that we want to talk about. But let's start off and, and talk about your background. Uh, you are a hometown kid, is that right? That's a fact. Yeah. Uh, you grew up here. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up. Well, grew up here in Columbia. I was the son of a university professor mm-hmm. where you knew my late father who yep. was a absolutely good me- man great man mechanical aerospace engineering professor yeah which certainly influenced me uh, as you know i uh actually started off my education in the mechanical engineering world yeah got a degree <laughs> in that uh, what that's a quite an interesting pre-med uh, uh education well, it, it really wasn't uh, by design. I just I did it because my grandfather was an engineering professor. Yeah, as you yeah. might know, he was the dean of the engineering school down at Rolla. Uh huh. And then my dad was a professor of mechanical aerospace, and it just kind of seemed like, well, maybe that's what I should do. <laughs> Your legacy, yeah. yeah. Now you've been able to combine medicine and engineering. Uh, have you been able to? Have you created? I'm trying to remember. Have you created some patents on some? Some, some I have designed devices. a couple of implant systems, yeah. no, nothing patentable, Yeah, um, but I, I did it. So it gave uh, you a different perspective. Truly, it did. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could say I planned it, but it, I didn't. <laughs> but it, it, it works out. It worked out really well. Yeah. Now, your mother is Dr. Beverly Miles, who That's is uh, she a psychologist? Is that correct? No, she's a chiropractor. Chiropractor. Okay. Why did I think she was a psychiatrist? Well, she's kind of a psychologist. Okay. I think. <laughs> That's about half of what she does, I think. Yeah. And also a very talented artist. She is. Yeah. Multi-talented. Yeah. 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 So very good. Uh, she's still still with us. How many kids are in your were in your family? Just uh, me and my late sister who okay. passed recently. She had uh, pancreatic cancer. Right. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, yeah. Terrible. Sorry for your loss there. Um, tell us about your specialty in orthopedics. What 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 are you good at? Well, I do spine surgery, mm-hmm. adult degenerative stuff. Uh, about half neck, about half low back. Probably my biggest niche would be uh, cervical disc arthroplasty, mm-hmm. which is a, a, a newer alternative to uh, treating cervical radiculopathy or myelopathy. Mm-hmm. So the traditional option tends to be a cervical fusion procedure, which works really well, but it does give you a stiff uh, segment there. Mm-hmm. So disc arthroplasty is a motion-sparing alternative wow. that's, that's gaining steam and I presume that I'm in the category of early adopters based on the numbers because mm-hmm. I've done a whole bunch of them. So there's enough of that business out there, enough of those cases out there to keep you busy. Uh, a lot of it, yeah. Yeah. Your, your producer friend here, Mr. Hansen, yeah. we were just discussing it. Yeah, yeah, he's got all kinds of problems. I mean, the back is just really one of the things that tip uh, of the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, 
I didn't get to ask you where you went to med school. I am right down the line, black and gold. Okay. You know? Yeah. And did you do fellowships here? or did No, you I did do... a fellowship down in Texas okay. at a place called Texas Back Institute yeah. down in uh, Plano, Texas. Yeah. Okay. And uh, how many years have you been at the orthopedic group? I think this is 24. 24 years. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, that's, you know, I think that there's... Uh, it, it's an interesting profession, and and uh, one of the and y- you have told me off the air that you think it's just sort of you know de- demographics and and sort of population, but you know Columbia, fifteen years ago had thirty orthopedic surgeons or maybe fewer, just a few th- fewer than thirty, and now we have almost sixty in the community, and uh, you think that's largely a result of the catchment basin that that. Uh, the two hospitals serve well and and demographics so the um i know you had dr adams on and my friend mark adams recently and i think he might have mentioned something about trends uh, and uh the american academy of orthopedic surgeons for example uh i think the current figure is about 1.4 million uh hip and knee replacements yep. in this country and, and that's just the aging baby boomers that's driving a lot of that and they predict by 2030 it'll be about three million goodness yeah wow so i think the the, the joint replacement guys are going to have to scramble to yeah. keep up with that and uh are, are there uh a, how does the pipeline look in terms of of cranking out orthopedic surgeons uh, with probably with un- undersupplied like almost yeah. every specialty is yeah. undersupplied yeah. yeah it can be a pretty good living i'm told well you <laughs> we're widget workers we got to show up every day the overhead, the overhead meter it. keeps spinning. <laughs> I get it completely. And our, our, yeah. our reimbursements don't go up. Yeah, I nobody, nobody wants to hear us yeah. whine, well, so I, I'm not going to. Yeah, yeah. I, I completely understand, but it's, it's one of the many problems we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. Um, so uh, kind of what what have you seen in, in your years of practice uh, in terms of the evolution of technology, the evolution of pharmaceuticals? Um, what, what have been the big changes in, in your niche of the industry? Well, in my niche, I would say the biggest change, uh, I suppose, is in the world of uh, less minimally invasive is the uh, catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we certainly have improved our techniques in terms of uh, minimizing blood loss and tissue destruction mm-hmm. with surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that's related to navigation, some of it's instrumentation, um, some of it's anesthesia related. So, like, our length of stay just keeps dropping, yeah, and our ability to do outpatient cases keeps improving. Literally, when I started practice, uh, my sports colleagues would not do rotator cuff repairs or ACL repairs as an outpatient because it seemed too aggressive. Yeah. Today, no one does those procedures as an inpatient. inpatient. Yeah. And, and it hasn't been that way for yeah. a, a decade, at yeah. least. Um what percentage I, of spine surgeries or spine procedures do you go through the the abdomen through the front? Well, the only procedure that we do there is an, what's called an anterior lumbar interbody fusion. Okay, which is uh, something that we do with some regularity. It's typically for people that have a spondylolisthesis. Hmm. Um, I have no idea what that is. That's where the vertebral bodies are not lined up on top of each other. Hmm. So, the place that I trained in. Texas was a big anterior uh, place, which is one of the reasons I went there. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, when I came back to uh, Missouri, I actually 
uh, recruited a really talented uh, anterior approach surgeon, a general surgeon named Sandra Moore, uh, to come up and do a couple of day mm. uh, workshop for our vascular surgeons, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of ignited the anterior um, approach world around here. Mm-hmm. And so now we have developed a nice cadre of approach surgeons, and, and anterior surgery is a pretty common yeah. event around here. Yeah, interesting. So one of the reasons that uh, we wanted to, to chat with you today is that uh, you, you really seem to have your finger on the pulse of some of the the. the the challenges that the healthcare industry is is facing, and really, there's nothing unique about Columbia, Missouri. Uh, many of the cha- challenges that we're facing here locally are some of the the challenges that they're facing on either coast or in Chicago or New York. Uh, there are unique circumstances for this market, but but tell me a little bit about, you know, when when I my limited understanding of the healthcare industry is that. Uh, this is my opinion, and I don't want you to say true or false, okay, so you don't get accused of saying this, but I think that the greedy insurance companies are the biggest part of the problem in healthcare. Would you agree or disagree? They're not part of the solution. That is for sure. <laughs> that was very diplomatic. Okay. I think the fundamental problem is misaligned financial incentives. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been a problem for a long time. It has been a problem for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um there's a, a law in this country called uh, minimum loss ratio, and insurance companies, uh, it, for patients or employees that are in fully insured plans, the insurance carriers are obligated to pay out in claims or claims paying activity 80 to 85 percent of their premium proceeds, depending on the size of the group. Mm-hmm. That induces some terrific financial misalignment because literally that means insurance companies are paid more when healthcare costs more. Mm. That's just yeah. what the factually works out to. So who's driving that? Who's driving that part of the process? Or there's, what factors a, are driving? There's a lot of inertia. Obviously yeah. insurance companies are making piles of money. The current the status quo suits them fine. Uh-huh. They're they're making lots of money. Yeah. It does not suit consumers fine at all. Yeah. Um and in fact, consumers are getting murdered. Uh, local businesses are having a real hard time paying for health care for their employees. And then when employees have nominal health coverage because of these high deductibles, they're functionally uninsured when it comes time to actually get care. There are CEOs and business owners listening to this radio program who have become accustomed to 20 and 30 percent increases year over year in the, the amount of premium they have to pay for their employees. Which is brutal. Yeah. And it's, it's killing local business. Yeah. And that was one of the drivers for us uh, starting this health cooperative, which is what I thought we were going to talk about mostly today. Yeah, but, we will. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll get uh, there. Uh, but that's exactly it. And it doesn't. These high deductibles don't work for providers either mm-hmm. um, because many of our patients just frankly don't have the funds and it puts them in a very bad position. I, I think I'm correct in stating that I think one of the top, if not the co- top cause for personal bankruptcy is medical debt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy. I um, um, what, what factor are the labor shortages both in, you know, uh, 
of course, we, we have a nursing shortage that's been pretty well publicized and, and it's hard to hire almost in any position, uh, in a hospital. Um, but also, uh, the, is there still a, a shortage of primary care physicians in this market? Absolutely. And yeah. there, there's no end in sight to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, you know, I think the number of people who have, have learned to rely on urgent care, um, uh, for their primary care is, is sort of staggering. You know what I mean? It is, and it's a poor substitute. Yeah. And that's, is that also a result of misaligned financial, uh, sort of factors? I mean, that people, you know, it, it's just easier for me to, um, uh, pay this out of pocket, uh, instead of just going through what would be a normal channel or a traditional channel. Well, the fee-for-service model does not work great for primary care physicians. Mm-hmm. Uh, their costs keep going up just like everyone else's, and the reimbursement for E&M codes, which they're entirely reliant upon, doesn't really keep up with inflation or their costs. And groups and, and physicians in, in solo practice or small groups uh, don't get a deal on anything, any mm-hmm. part of the expenses of running a practice, including EMR, and then all the personnel issues associated with employment costs, mm-hmm. including a health plan, uh, it's just, uh, it's really an untenable model for them. And EMR for our listeners is electronic medical records, which uh, it seems like, um, at least at Boone Hospital, uh, we changed EMR providers every four or five years, and it is extremely disruptive uh, to everything that happens in the healthcare environment. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but for some reason it has been, uh, certainly at Boone. True and very expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, crazy. Let's talk about the, the healthcare cooperative because the health cooperative, um, describe it kind of from 30,000 feet. What, what does it look like uh, to a lay person? What, what is the health cooperative? Legally, we are an LLC that was set up uh, for the purpose of direct contracting with employers in self-funded health plans. Mm-hmm. We are, uh, again, legally an integrated provider network. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, this activity is illegal. Yeah. Um, you, you, we run afoul of Stark and any kickback rules. So the government laid out some very clear guidelines on what it takes to do this sort of contracting for entities with different tax IDs. Um, so in our local market, as you're well aware, we really have a kind of a town and gown situation. Mm-hmm. So you have the university with a bunch of employed physicians right. that are all under one tax ID. Mm-hmm. And then you have a very fragmented private uh, provider uh, base. That fragmented base is not capable of directly contracting with an employer in a self-funded health plan without uh, some intermediary which mm-hmm. and, and this the health cooperative is the intermediary to do that okay so it sort of bridges that gap or the just sort of makes that all possible correct all right when we come back for this break we'll continue our conversation with uh dr john miles and uh, we will uh, talk more about uh, how employers can learn more about and what are the benefits for employers and and uh especially for those self-funded employers who have their own insurance plans and programs and what's it take to get there i think that's something that a lot of our listeners are going to want to know about uh this is fred perry you're listening to the ceo roundhill we'll, we'll be back with dr john miles right after this on the 93 the eagle.
This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are visiting with Dr. John Miles from the Columbia Orthopedic Group. Uh, we're talking about the health cooperative, which is a, a collaborative, I guess, of, of um, and that's probably the wrong word because collaborative is used in other places in healthcare, but uh, it is a collection of uh, healthcare providers that are working together. And this network, um, so the, the way that it primarily works is that the employer has to be self-insured. Is that correct? That is correct. They need to be either in a level-funded or a, a self-funded health plan. And how, how difficult is that to be self-funded? What, what are the financial requirements? Not that hard. Um, almost any employer with over 50 employees is probably already self-funded. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day, if you go back 10 or 15 years, it was reserved for just larger employers, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, over 300. The number keeps dropping and we actually have groups in level funded products down to three or four employees. Mm-hmm. So is there like a, I'm probably using the wrong word, but is there like a stop loss number on that? You know, that, uh, I know that for example, the employees of Boone County, uh, the county was responsible for the first $125,000 of care that after that, if it was catastrophic or, you know, major cancer or, uh, orthopedic surgeries or, uh, deliveries or, or brain tumors, whatever, uh, the in uh sort of a secondary insurance plan would kick in and cover anything above 125,000. Correct. So that's called the uh specific uh, attachment point. So there's at the risk of getting too arcane, there's mm-hmm. a aggregate attachment point and a specific and you pay for those separately. For smaller employers, that's why level funding is attractive. Um, what is level funding? So it looks and feels more like traditional insurance in that the monthly outlay for the employer is the same every month. And the stop-loss carrier has set that rate to be slightly higher than the expected outlay so that at the end of the year, if things go according to plan and there's no disastrous claims, there'll actually be a little credit available that could be applied to next year's premium. Hmm. Um, so let, let me just ask you, if, if uh, a local company has 50 employees – uh, what, what typically, what, what kind of, um, uh, how much cash do they need to have in this program? Uh, just uh, ballpark. Don't, don't need any. Nothing? No. They just have to be able to cover. They have the, to get through underwriting. Okay. So what happens is you, you, you get some basic health data on the employees. Mm-hmm. You run it by the stop loss carrier who hires actuaries to do these things. Right. And they assign a risk profile to it and they decide what they're going to charge for the stop loss premium. Okay. Which will really set the rate. Mm-hmm. And then they, you have to assemble the parts. And this is where you get the broker involved. Yeah. And there's a number of good ones around. Um, and this is what they do all day. So you set up what's called a third party administrator who actually administers the plan. Right. You have a stop loss carrier. And a network, and that's where we come in as a network. Okay. Um, so really, you have probably seen a few companies in the last few years make this move. Uh, and I would guess that the biggest challenge to making this move is something called the human resources director, who a lot of them are really uh, uh, tend to like, and I hate to stereotype, but but uh, my experience is, has been that most human resources 
directors are uh, really all about the path of least resistance. And so this is a big change. This is sort of something that in their minds feels very risky. And and because it's changed, they are the ones that all the employees come to and say, you just witnessed me doing it with the HR director here. Uh, well, this isn't this isn't right. You know what I mean? I Why do I have to pay more for this? So. Have you seen some companies in, in recent years that have saved substantial amounts of money because they made the switch? We have, yeah, but you're exactly correct. So the, the, the problem that we've had a couple of problems getting traction in the marketplace. We've had some successes, and actually pretty much everybody who's gone on one of these plans that we endorse uh, has done well. But you are exactly correct that the big resistance is typically – a with an HR person because this is different and more work for yeah, them. Yeah, it is. Initially, it's more work. Yeah, initially it's more yeah. work. But um, for the CFO or the CEO or the owner of the company, that's who it interests the most, right? Because it saves the them a ton of money. Right, and yeah. this is a, an increasingly large expense. Yeah, so they're the ones that make the decision and drive the change because they have to. Now, the problem they have though is that they're usually smart enough to know that they don't understand it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And that's where they go to the broker typically. And just to be honest, uh, the brokers are in a well. They, they get a big kickback from uh, from insurance companies. They're in a conflicted position, right? And I, okay. you know, and and I will just and I'm saying this not you because you have to live with these people. But you know, it is. I think people would be shocked. CEOs would be shocked to know how much of a kickback their brokers are getting from the Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world. They would be. Yeah. Or, or from some other source, like a PBM yeah. or some and, other back And they probably no. never, they really don't even know to ask the question. They don't. Yeah. And they don't know where it's coming from. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's all true. Yeah. So, so our, can our you, approach, yeah, our approach ahead. here locally has been um, to get our members to, uh, quote, eat their own cooking. Okay. Hmm. So before we even have thought about approaching the bigger employers here in Columbia, we wanted to get Boone Health on the exact plan that we would put them in. Mm -hmm. As you are well aware, Boone has had quite a bit of turmoil yeah. over the past several years and has not really been in a position to rock any boat. Right. Um, and now that's starting to change. The financial circumstances over there are getting much better and they're very fortunate to have brady dubois at the helm who, and that's the new ceo who is the new ceo yeah. and I'm, I'm really bullish on him i think he's going to be great yeah so um boone hospital has over 1600 employees they do and uh they would be a perfect candidate for this but but what's the sweet spot? I mean, is it is it more than fifty employees? I mean, typically, does this type of program make sense for you if you have at least fifty employees, or at least a hundred employees? What, what what's the magic number? So if you have over fifty, it will make sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you have less than fifty, it will make sense if your group is relatively healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, at fifty, you have this community rating rule. So over fifty employees, even if you're in a fully insured plan, you can get. Uh, experience rated so mm -hmm. they can raise your rates uh, based on the experience mm -hmm. if you're less than 50 employees you get community rated which may or may not help you it, it'll hurt you if you're healthy and it helps you if you're unhealthy yeah your group mm -hmm. so anybody over 50 this makes sense and we have a unique market here locally in that we basically have two options from the 50,000 foot view you have private and you have the university well, we have access to payer data, and we know 
we know the numbers. Right. right? So on average, we're about 30% less than the university. Mm. Okay. That's real money. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you talk about financial. But you have to give your employees an incentive to use Boone over the university. Well, that's true. And you have to make uh, these decisions meaningful. So, for example, if you are in a fully insured, regular, what we call the Bucas, Blues, mm-hmm. United, right. Cigna, Aetna, if you're an employee, all you see is a deductible and a copay. Or coinsurance. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. it makes no difference what the actual care cost, right? Right, right. It's just as what's your out of pocket expense. Right, right. So it'd be like going into a car dealership, and it didn't make any difference what the price on the vehicle was. It mm-hmm. was just whatever your out of pocket expense yeah. was, which would be a ridiculous way to to do things, right? But that's how we do it every yeah. day. So the only way that this matters directly to the employee or to the employer, okay, is in a self funded health plan where these actual expenses actually matter yeah. to the employer and the employee. So the employee, is there a way to give the employee some skin in the game? Because, you know, I've seen cases where you have a knee replaced at one institution, and, and I'm just making up these numbers, but the proportions are correct. Uh, it may cost you $38,000 at Hospital A, and it may cost you seventeen thousand dollars at Hospital B. You are exactly correct. And so, um, and so, do you incentivize the employee to the quality scores could be identical? Uh, do you incentivize that employee to say, "Hey, if you decide to get your knee replaced, and it's totally your choice, but if you um, if you get your uh, knee replaced at Boone Hospital, it is zero copay." But if you're going to use this more expensive option, you're going to have to come up with uh, a couple thousand dollars. Fred, it's like you read my script. Okay. okay. So that, that is exactly what we do. But that's a foreign concept for a lot of people. Well, here's it, it is, but it's very simple. Mm-hmm. So the way we, we do this is that the health cooperative is a preferred benefit tier in your self-funded health plan. Mm-hmm. We are not exclusive. But in exchange for the rates, the very competitive rates that I've negotiated with all of our providers, and we're up to about 750 providers and about seven facilities. Wow. Yeah. So in exchange for those rates, uh, we want to be uh, accessible and out of the collection business, uh, which is a nasty business that we're not very good at. Right. And it's abusive to patients. Yeah. And they resent the heck out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... To be a preferred uh, tier, we want low or no deductibles and co-insurance and co-pays. And then we want a little distance between us and the next layer of the network, which could be any type of a renta network. And around here, HealthLink works real well, but it could be other renta networks. Mm. We don't actually want to be exclusive because we don't do everything. Mm -hmm. We can cover about... 90 to 95 percent of the waterfront in terms of the total spend of an employer typically mm-hmm. but there's some things that we're probably never going to do like certain pediatric subspecialties right. or, or some transplants right we're just not going to do it right. and it's not going to happen um some psychiatric things we're probably a little weaker mm-hmm. um, but if you look at the bulk of medical needs that people have yeah. we can cover it very well 95 percent of what you need is probably covered that's about right yeah so um, we have a network uh, manager, contract administrator, a partner um, out in Idaho named uh, Health to Business 
that's a very capable partner, and they're uh, doing uh, – the, the buzzword right now is community health plans, and that is what we establish is these community health plans. And they're yeah. doing community health plans around the country, um, mostly with large hospital systems, with employed physicians. So if you talk to Doug Hetherington, who's the CEO, he'll tell you that we're actually the largest in the country of independent providers and facilities that are actually doing community health plans mm-hmm. around the country. Mm-hmm. So we're a little unique in that regard. You asked about people saving money. Probably our biggest win to date on a dollar uh, amount would be Bothwell Hospital, hmm. who's one of our members. Yeah. So Lori Whiteman has done a great job with... She's uh, the CEO? She's the CEO, and yep. Steve Davis is the CFO. Yeah. And a aggressive young... Uh, broker named Brendan Hurley with the Shirt Partners put this thing together. And they went to a co-op endorsed plan. Um, for their employees, employees for of their employees, okay. For their employees. And okay. they, I, I, I think I can share these numbers. I don't, I don't think it would matter, but I think they saved like $2.4 million their first year. Mm. Yeah. And about 500 of that was on the employee side of the ledger. So their employees realize that savings in terms of -of out-of-pocket expenses, Mm -hmm. deductibles, and co-insurance, and that's after-tax money, right? Yeah. If they would have had to pay that 500, they would have had to make collectively close to double that. Yeah. So it was effectively a pay raise for their employees, and it worked splendidly well. Yeah. I have been known to sort of stir the poop every now and then, but I, I think what's really interesting about the example you just gave is that Bothwell Hospital is actually part of MU Healthcare's uh, network, correct? No. They're not anymore? No. They were at one time. They had an affiliation. A collaboration? They had an affiliation. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Very interesting. So, but now they're participating in a, in a program that is... Uh, uh, they're members of the health cooperative. Yeah. yeah. And Which Lori's, are, Lori's on the board. Yeah. And now we're, we're pivoting off that. We've added a few employers around Sedalia uh, because of that experience. And so we'll do the same thing in Marshall and other... Yeah. Areas around. When we come back from this break, we, I want to continue our conversation and talk a little bit about transparency and, and healthcare charges and, and cost. And, and is there a way for people to find out what a procedure is going to cost at Hospital X versus Hospital B? All of that and more with John Miles, uh, Columbia Orthopedic Group surgeon. You are listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagles. Whispering in the trees, it's two cities and they're only pipes and chains and swinging hands. Who's your daddy? Yes, I am. Bad cat came to play. Now you can't run fast enough. You this is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry on 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable show. Fred Perry, your host this weekend. We are visiting with Dr. John Miles with the Columbia Orthopedic Group and one of the founders of the Health Cooperative. Uh, that is an organization of uh, a network of uh, physicians, uh, 750 providers. Did you say seven facilities? Seven facilities. And right. so an example of a facility would be Boone Boot. Hospital, Bothwell Hospital. Hospital. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Fitzgibbon. Okay. Yeah. And so you've got hospitals in there. Any other types of facilities? Uh, outpatient imaging. Yeah. Outpatient surgery centers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk about some other things in the healthcare industry, but, but back on this network, I mean, I, I think that one of the big concerns has been sort of, uh, maybe a lack of transparency. You know, it's, there's, 
healthcare is about the only business sector where you really don't know what something is going to cost you before you buy it. That's true. And um, and then when you do get the bills, they're so confusing. Uh, and you don't know if you're supposed to pay. And I don't know how much of that is intentional. Uh, but it, it is... Um, it is entirely too confusing for the average person. Um, but do you do you feel like there is a degree of transparency that really let the buyer beware, let the CEO be CFO be aware of what they're going to have to pay when their employees go to a certain hospital? Absolutely, we we totally endorse that. And in fact, that's the way our rate structure is set up in the co-op is that we're a flat uh, percentage of Medicare rates. Mm-hmm. And it's across the board, and it's. I'm not going to share it. I think it's proprietary, probably, but I know we're going to save people money. Yeah, there, there's zero doubt, mm-hmm. unless unless um, they're under 50 employees and sickly. Yeah, uh, it, and sickly would be maybe a case of cancer. Uh, correct, uh, or a bunch of health conditions, or uh, yeah, a bunch of women that are childbearing ages. Correct in their in their pool. So. Um, okay. I mean, that's all something that uh, you have to consider. So, um, the, um, I want to shift gears if we can and just talk to you about some other things and we'll, we'll wrap up, uh, tell people how they can find out more about the health cooperative, but, but you know, when, when I think about the local healthcare market and, and, you know, it is probably a $2 billion business in this community in Columbia. Um, so it's a big deal. And um, it, it is a major driver in our economic engine. Um, I worry when I read the headlines about BJC Health and St. Luke's Hospital out of Kansas City merging uh, and f- forming one entity. Uh, my biggest concern is that they're going to start encroaching on Mid-Missouri. Do you have those concerns? Do, do you, do you, is there anything about that merger that concerns you? Well, the first thing that concerns me is the impact on pricing for consumers. I cannot imagine that that's going to result in a net increase in value. Dr. Consumers. Adams thought that it was going to give a considerable, considerably more leverage to BJC and St. Luke's in negotiating with healthcare companies. Do you, do you, would you agree with I that? I think it will drive up rates. Okay. Drive up rates. Drive up. I think it will be bad for consumers. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I absolutely bad, which actually will increase the value prop of independent hospitals like Boone and independent groups like the health cooperative mm-hmm. because I think our value proposition is just going to go up and up. Yeah. It's been a rocky three years at Boone Hospital uh, since they have separated from BJC. Uh, was that the right thing to do in your mind? I think strategically it was absolutely right, the right yeah. thing to do. Maybe execution? We execution dropped the ball? was not good. Yeah. yeah and I think everybody would agree with that. Um, some of it I think BJC left them in the lurch. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind Especially of, with EMR. Uh, really everything. Yeah. Uh, purchasing IT, everything, mm-hmm. uh, straight down the line. Uh, so uh, they, the next CEO, well, I won't throw under the bus, he's a nice man, but he stepped into a bee's nest for yeah. sure. Yeah. And I don't think he had quite the motor uh, to get over the hump. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of, though, uh, there have been a lot of improvements in those three years. And I think the new leadership team, including Ed Clayton, who's I meant, didn't mention him, the CFO, really capable guys. And I think the ship is starting to turn. Maybe an unfair question, but do you think that BJC Healthcare set up Boone for failure on their way out? It sure looked like it. From an out, I mean, 
semi-outsider. I'm yeah. not employed by Boone, but I right. work over there all the time. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Interesting. What, what's what's your read on what's happening in Jefferson City right now? There's you know there's a lot of talk about sort of what Jefferson City Medical Group is up to, and they're they're a huge player, of course. I don't know if they're a partner of yours or not, but and then St. Mary's, that, such a beautiful hospital that it just seems to be so underutilized. Uh, and at last report, they were losing a substantial amount of money. What, what's your read on that market? Well, it's a tricky market. They probably don't, from a capacity perspective, don't need uh, two facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand JCMG's position on uh, not wanting to lose an independent hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be bad for the community to, yeah. to lose competition. Um, Are they doing all they can to support St. Mary's? I think they have a strained relationship. Yeah. I think uh, it would be described that way. Um you know, I'm not part of that medical community. Uh, we keep an open dialogue. Uh, you know, Jeff Patrick is a guy I grew up with. He's the CEO now of uh, JCMG. Mm-hmm. Good guy. Um, we do have um, a long-term desire to be affiliated with them. I think it's hard to imagine that uh, we could address the needs of Central Missouri in its entirety without them on mm-hmm. board, just because mm-hmm. they have a big footprint. Yeah. Do they see the benefit of what you're doing? I think they probably do from the, the big picture view, but mm-hmm. I think they're under some uh, short-term financial pressures um, and the idea of investing in the future for something they don't get an immediate benefit mm-hmm. maybe not that attractive to them. Perhaps. They just built a, a large, very expensive surgery center uh, in in Jeff City. And, and, so, and, of course, SSM spent a boatload of money building St. Mary's Hospital, probably which, way too much. Which is a Taj Mahal. Yeah. yeah. And you could question yeah. that. Really. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then they tried to sell it. And then had they recently decided that they want to keep it? Is that is that the your understanding? My understanding, and again, I'm not a, I have no special knowledge yeah. of it. My, my understanding is that it's really not bleeding nearly to the extent that it was. Okay. And they've cut out a bunch of services and they, the stuff that they're doing is enough to keep their, their nose above water. Interesting. Very good. Um, so... I want to just before we um, uh, before we get out of here, uh, kind of you know, I think that in some respects your challenge with the health cooperative is dumbing this thing down enough. Uh, and no insult to uh, CEOs or business owners, but but I mean, there's a lot of uh, the vernacular is there's a lot of acronyms and and there's just a lot of so in in your most basic layman's terms. Um, what would be the incentive for a a small business owner or a CEO again fifty employees or more? What what would be the primary incentives for them to take a look? At, and and it, there is some pain with this gain. Uh, what would be the 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 primary incentives for them to take a serious look at the health cooperative? Yeah, I don't think it's pain. Honestly, this transition. Well, change very- is pain. It's, Especially for the HR angst. director. It's mental angst. Okay, yeah. there you go. That's pain. Yeah. And the way I think we're going to get around that is, frankly, through our members. Okay, COG did it, and it caused my partners angst. Mm-hmm. It, we had many discussions about it, and it's worked out fabulously. Well, mm-hmm. I could give you a bunch of numbers, but it doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. worked out very well. Our own broker, who made some estimates, thought that our expenditures would be radically higher had we not done this a few years ago like almost double yeah um we haven't had a rate hike in about five years okay wow um you know five years rate hikes could i mean it's you know your rates more than double in five years for an average company exactly yeah yeah so you just have to get over the mental angst and so 
Yeah, for COG, people know Columbia Orthopedic Group, but we're not a huge employer. We have about 150 employees, but it, it would be very difficult to go to any big employer around here and the VU or equipment share or the city or the mm-hmm. county government and say, you need to do this. And the, I think the first question would be, well, is Boone Hospital doing it? Mm-hmm. And Boone has partnered with us and they are contracted with us, but they haven't put themselves with an independent TPA, with an independent stop loss carrier in exactly the fashion that we need yeah. to sell it the exact same plan to another employer. Yeah. And when they, and, and I think but that they've been very close to pulling the trigger uh, in in recent years, but they just have been so distracted by with other financial, things, which, yeah, I, which yeah. I understand. But yeah. under the current leadership, we're very actively working with them to get them yeah. on an independent TPA of their choosing. And I've urged them to choose wisely because mm-hmm. we want to sell this exact one yeah. to everybody around here. Yeah. Um, and when I think that happens, I mean, all, all we need is just uh, open the door and just for have Ed Clayton to say, yeah, we did it and it works. Yeah. And then we can refer yeah. him to, to Bothwell and say, yep, worked great. And I think that's what it's going to get down to yeah. because the acronyms and some orthopedic surgeon talking to him about numbers is not going to get it. Yeah. Okay. Can, can, can you share how many companies are currently using? Um, well, we're your, up to about a, about a dozen or a so. A dozen. Okay. Yeah. And uh, without naming names, uh, can you say, hey, this company saved this amount of money, amount of money without saying names? Well, again, the biggest one was Bothwell okay. by far. That's the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. And can you share what they saved? $2.4 A year. A year. $2.4 million a year. And they have four or 500 employees? About 550. Yeah, about 550? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. No, it, and and again, about five hundred of that was from the on the employee side of the ledger, mm-hmm. where they didn't have out of pocket expenses. So this was like a raise to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so now the only pushback we got, just to be totally honest, yeah. is that we did divert some business from Kansas City to Columbia. Okay, and uh, there were some employees who said, well, why did they get a better deal going to Columbia than I do going to Kansas City? Mm-hmm. Well, the answer is because it costs us less money. Yeah. That's the answer. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And our plan designs, we, again, we don't want to be exclusive. You can go wherever you want. You can go mm-hmm. to the Mayo Clinic. We don't care where you go. Okay? But if you want these competitive rates that save your employer money, that will save you money, then you do it this way. Yeah. And probably because of Highway 50, it's a little easier to get to Kansas City from Sedalia than it is to get to Columbia. And I would imagine that was a concern. But right here in our own backyard, there really are no excuses. You, you know, you would take away. Uh, well, we see patients from Warrensburg yeah. regularly. Yeah. Okay. So, well, it, yeah. I mean, yeah, from we, all, go, from we Iowa. go up to Southern Iowa, yeah, Northern right. Illinois. We see people from all over. Yeah. Okay? Uh, um, and we don't have to have everybody. It's just if you're interested in saving money, you should talk to us. Yeah. I, I think that. There is a concern by some people who look at the future of healthcare and they come to the conclusion that based on the trajectory that it, we're going to get to a point where employers are no longer offering health benefits to their employees. They're, they're going to offer a stipend and, and make them personally responsible for, the, for their choices. But, but I, I just think that it's, 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 by my way of thinking as a small business owner, it's getting to the point where you really you're going to have to choose between making payroll and providing benefits, you know, for some of your employees. And and I, I think that there is a, a chance that some people are going to say, yeah, we just can't provide benefits anymore, you know, which would be tough. You know, and I hope we don't I don't think that'll work too well for most people. And that's yeah. why we're so aggressive about promoting this, yeah. because the current status quo is not sustainable. Yeah, no question. 
John Miles, we appreciate your time. Thank you for the good work that you're doing with the Health Cooperative and, and certainly all the work you do at, uh, I'm sure you have a lot of your patients listening, uh, right now. Uh, so we appreciate your time this weekend. Thank you for it. Right, good to catch up with you. And, and, uh, if you want more information about the Health Cooperative, what, what website can they go to? I think it's the Health Cooperative of Missouri. Okay. But, uh, our CEO is a guy named Jim Toon. You can email him at jtoon at Columbia, at, uh, healthcoopofmo.org. Okay. But just Health- look it up on this. Go to Google, Health Cooperative of Missouri. Okay, very good. Jim Toon. All right, that's John Miles. I'm Fred Perry. You've been listening to the CEO Roundtable on 93.9 The Eagle. This city is my city, and I love it. Yeah, I love it. I was born in